Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Dr. Aaron Rock has served as a pastor, professor, chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is The Christian Village, Surviving in an Anti-Christian World. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing how we can better support one another as Christians in a world that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. So Aaron, can you explain the title of the episode? What's the the big idea, so to speak, behind the idea of a Christian village? So I, I picked this title because I wanted to use it as sort of a an image or a metaphor for a, a concept or a paradigm that I think is fascinating and that I think is probably the way of the future for Christian people. And when I, when I use the word Christian village, I'm not talking about literally going out and buying a village and appointing a mayor, or I'm not talking about forming an exclusive community out in the boondocks that has no great commission ministry uh, into the, into the community. But what I'm, what I'm thinking about as I've considered all the different things going on in culture today and, and the fact that many people who have stood for righteousness are being penalized financially, bank accounts frozen, churches fined, pastors fined, fined for speaking at protests. Uh, when I think about that, um, it seems like the state is very willing now to punish Christians or people who are Christianized. What I mean by that is people that may not have a saving relationship with Christ, but have more or less Christian elements in their worldview. So people that are opposed to tyranny, people that are opposed to intrusions upon worship or bodily autonomy, people that believe you should actually work six days and rest on the seventh, these, these sorts of folks. So we have uh, the state's willingness to punish us coupled with anti-Christian sentiment in most social institutions. So it's, it's pretty hard to be a conscientious theist and teach in biological faculties in our country. It's pretty hard not to agree with the, all the, you know, the woke agendas that are out there and find a job in higher education. So Christians, I think need to just, realize that that's the way it is. We live in an anti-Christian, anti-biblical worldview culture, and we can fight and hiss and spit and write letters and posture and yada, yada, yada. But we have to think about the nuts and bolts of how to survive. And of course, we want to be people of prayer and we want to trust in the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. But as practical people, the Bible is very practical. It has practical advice about life decisions. We need to think through clear strategies that will allow us to survive in an anti-Christian world. So I would like to encourage the Christian communities that I speak to to be more strategic. Living uh, with interdependence upon one another, I think, is really, really important. And supporting one another economically. So if you you take uh, a map of a city like let's say Windsor, Essex, and you put a bunch of pins on it where people in our church live, they, they're scattered all over the place. But then if you overlaid that with an economic map, if it was possible to create an economic map that would say, okay, where where do these pin pins on the map spend their grocery money, spend their house renovation money, spend their house building money, their haircut money, their pet grooming money, most of us just pour our money back into the secular structures that are around us mm-hmm. who, you know, and, and we're never going to fully es- escape that. Like there's no Christian company that I know of offering natural gas. So mm-hmm. you have to pay, you're going to, some of your money is going to go into paying companies that are sort of part of the system, part of the beast, so to speak. But, much of our money, if we're more strategic, we could set up a, a series of lines and in, in interconnected points between all these pins on a map. So we're actually supporting one another economically and perhaps even living in closer proximity in order to make that more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Now, what I am 
thinking will probably happen is as the mandates lift and they are lifting, for instance, in the province we're in, the social distancing mandates are essentially gone. The capacity limits are essentially gone in, in churches. And apparently on March the 21st, they're going to lift the masking mandate. As these frontline sort of obvious tangible mandates are lifted, my concern is that good Christian people are just going to fall back into the system and sort of go, whew, glad that's over. Mm -hmm. Now I can just get back to working for big tech, spending my money in the big box stores, pouring my money, you know, into godless people's businesses. And they're not necessarily going to prepare themselves for the next go around or the next challenge to liberty or Christianity. So what I want people to, to do is like learn the enduring lessons that we need to learn uh, out of this, these two years that we've experienced and start to take active steps to shape the way you respond to future cultural issues. You know, the whole idea of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me is something we need to consider. If we've been fooled, taken advantage of, tyrannized, abused, fined, etc., in the current milieu, and we don't change our response or our posture or our position in culture and in society, and they do it to us again, then it's our fault. Mm -hmm. Right now it's their fault. But if it happens again, it's our fault. If we haven't taken any steps to try to protect ourselves. So I would like to see Christians, when I say a Christian village, live with a mindset where we're going to commit to supporting and encouraging fellow Christians first and foremost to help one another to survive through the challenges that lie ahead. And primarily I'm thinking about economically being more strategic in how we support one another. So we want to continue to gather for worship, of course, and we want to have meaningful relationships by living close enough that we can visit each other and encourage each other and babysit each other's kids, et cetera. But we need to do a better job of keeping our, the monies that God has given to us more or less, we're never going to be able to do it completely, but more or less within mm -hmm. sort of a micro economy is, mm -hmm. is my, my sense of, of what we need to do moving forward. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I think that's a good observation thinking about, okay, if the, the restrictions lift, we'll kind of go back to uh, the way we maybe did things. But the reality is we've seen the, whether you want to call it the beast or the system or the state, we've seen this for years. The state has been punishing people economically for failing to toe the line. Yeah. So you see, you know, several years ago, a business that was charged for failing to make the rainbow wedding cake uh, or failing to take pictures at the, the gay wedding, right? Yeah. Um, to people being fired these days for exercising bodily autonomy in vaccination. Um, and so we know that money is a powerful means of punishment. So how can we, how does the idea of a Christian village solve that? Well, first people need to realize we can never fully protect ourselves in a broken world from being victimized. We can never fully protect ourselves from tyranny. This is a broken world and there's always going to be a measure of exposure to abuse, and tyranny, and godlessness. I'm not interested in running off into the wilderness and hiding either. I want to see our people continue to do great, great commission ministry in the community. But let's suppose you live in a neighborhood where thieves keep kicking in your back door and stealing your stuff. Well, at some point you need to build a better door, mm -hmm. put a fence around your property, security cameras up, maybe get a dog. So we, in the natural order of things, when we are attacked, what we tend to do is we fortify our defenses. But I think economically, we've done a poor job as a Christian church fortifying our defensive economically. So it's, it's easier, at least it has been, to just go out and apply for a job at Corporation ABC or even better, apply for a job at Canada's largest employer, which is the government, yep. get a job there. They pay well. They usually have some comfortable pension plans. They have benefit plans. You get a free cell phone, et cetera. We like to work for these secure 
corporations, but it's, it's so, so clear now that these are very much part of the system. They're part of the beast Mm -hmm. and they don't care for you. They don't love you and you are expendable to them. So while we're never going to be immune to the challenges of our world, we need to build, not build back better, but we need to build (laughs) better fences (laughs) that will make it harder for bad people to attack us. Primarily, we've seen this, especially in the West, tyrants punish the people that they don't like financially. Yep. That's what they do. They punish you financially. Okay, you're not going to make the rainbow cake. We're going to fine you. You, you're going to try to open your church under lockdown. We're going to fine you. We're going to take your building away. We're going to lock it up. You're going to drive your truck to Ottawa and park on a street and peacefully protest. We're going to charge you criminally. So they, they come after us financially. Now I spent some time today with a trucker that was up in Ottawa who peacefully surrendered when the police came and he, they still broke his wrist, need him in the rib several times. He has an injured liver. So there is some physical abuse that's taken place. And I saw his doctor's note, by the way, I actually, I actually read through it. Uh, he's not making this stuff up. He's got a cast on, et cetera. But primarily we're going to see more financial penalties than we are going to see physical attacks. So the Bible actually has some interesting things to say about our responsibility to support one another financially. Mm-hmm. When the Christian church thinks about its finances and how we're supposed to use that in the community, we have this strange notion that our first and foremost responsibility is to give money to people we don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, I had the opportunity on behalf of our church to give a sizable sum to um, a family in our community today who had a genuine need. And we do that. We, we give money to people who are outside of our church and we help people. But the Bible says in Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our first responsibility is to the household of faith. In Acts 6, when those early servants, some think they're deacons, were appointed, they were appointed primarily to provide for Christian widows, The Bible says he who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So we have a responsibility, first and foremost, to to not only equip, but to provide for one another Mm -hmm. within the Christian church. So if one has a need, the whole or the part steps up and they meet that need. Again, it's easy working for the enemy, but it's also often evil working for the enemy. And it's unfortunate because in an ideal world, I would love to see Christians working in all the different educational institutions, the medical institutions, the the, corp, the corporations, et cetera, going in there and being salt and light. We would like to see that, but I think increasingly our salt and light is going to have to be outside the confines of the places we find our employment because they don't want you working for them mm-hmm. anymore. We just need to understand that if you're a conscientious Christian who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is committed to a Christian worldview, the police department doesn't want you working there. Mm-hmm. The u- local university doesn't want you working there. The local high school doesn't want you working there. The local corporation doesn't want you working there. And if you're like, I'm going to work there anyway, and they hire you, well, then you're going to go through all their LGBTQ tr- training, and you're going to be forced to put pronouns in your business card, and you're going to be forced to compromise, and you're going to be forced to be vaccinated if you don't want to, or whatever, you know, maybe in the future, there'll be uh, carbon points awarded or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You're going to be forced to participate in this pagan hedonistic agenda, which is trying to bring utopianism to the world apart from God. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't work. So at some point you have to step back and say, Hey, you know what? Historically Christians were institution builders, you know, more or less we built the hospital systems. We built the modern educational systems. It's capitalism, which a lot of people think is a negative word. And there's obviously some abuses that can take with take place in capitalism, but this idea of working with your own hands unencumbered and being able to advance yourself and bless your family and community, this notion is relatively recent and it's a, it's based upon Christian values, a Christian worldview. Again, I'm not saying there's people that can't abuse it, right? I understand that, 
but it's a whole lot more quote unquote Christian in its basis than socialism or communism mm -hmm. is or statism, right? So the, the basic principles that govern economics come from the Bible and these big corps and these, these institutions that have been corrupted in our culture, it's going to become increasingly difficult, maybe even impossible for conscientious Christians to work within them. So you're going to be left with two choices, compromise or get out. Mm -hmm. no, but if you get out, you have to go somewhere. So we have to think long-term. And I know this, some of us find it easier to think long-term. Most people just want to think about tomorrow, but you have to think long-term and we have to rebuild these institutions from the ground up. So it's easy working for the enemy, but if the enemy's evil, are you going to be able to last in, in an environment like that? Mm -hmm. So a Christian village, the notion of a Christian village solves that, at least in part, not completely, where you identify the various goods and services that people provide within the Christian community, and you commit yourself to primarily spending your money uh, with uh, on goods and services with people who have a similar Christian worldview. You bless them, they bless you, they bless the next person, and we all sort of live in community. Christians, so the way I think of it, Chris, is when it comes to jobs, some people are built to be workers, some people are built to be supervisors, and some people are built to be entrepreneurs. That's not bad to better. It's just the reality. Mm -hmm. People have different gifts. So as Christians, we want to be the best workers, we want to be the best supervisors, we want to be the best entrepreneurs. But all of the principles that govern those different tiers of working are found within the scriptures. And the Bible has a lot to say about money and how you treat people and ethics and you know the, the, the values that you bring to bear upon your, your uh, stewarding your employment, your gifts, your skills. We need to see more Christians start businesses. Those that are entrepreneurs need to start businesses. When do they need to start them? Last week. Yeah. Right. They need to, they need to be conscientious about this. You might need to keep one foot in your current occupation and start it part-time and sort of build it up. You mean you need to have a conversation with three, three of your cousins to fund it. But I, I just cannot imagine that we're not going to have significant problems with unemployment in the future for people in the Christian community. If Christians just keep going to the easy places, they consider the easy places to find employment, trying to just get a few extra years in to get that pension topped up. They're going to, they're going to be, um, uh, you know, in for a rude awakening if all that's taken, taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And again, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on, on me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, really we are in the, a good situation when there's it's easier to fix the roof while the sun is shining than when it's pouring, so to yeah, speak. <laughs> so, um, so just break it down for us. How does a Christian village work? Like, what does that even look like? I know you've mentioned a little bit about that, but uh, what practically speaking is that? So it's not a radical concept. It's essentially an identifiable community within a community. So let me give you some analogies. There are such things as Christian nursing homes denominations own them or groups of Christians own them. It's the Mennonite nursing home. It's the an Anglican nursing home, whatever it might be. It's a place where senior people live and all of their needs are taken care of. And it has connections with an ecclesiastical body. That's a, a community within a community. When groups of Italians moved into our community back, I think it was in the fifties or sixties, they started a lot of businesses down Erie Street, mm -hmm. and it's sort of Little Italy, we call it. There's all kinds of Italian restaurants, and if you look at a lot of the houses around there, they have like an Italian feel to them. It doesn't mean they only catered to Italians, and it doesn't mean they only lived in communities with Italians, but they sort of lived in an area and started businesses, and there was a lot of mutuality and support. So if you're looking for an employee, you know, you call your, 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 your cousin and you hire his kid or, you know, you employ your eldest daughter or whatever it might be. You, you bless and encourage one another. We see this with uh, Chinatown in Toronto. And of course there's Chinatowns in many big cities where Chinese immigrants have come and they've started businesses and they're open. Anybody can come and buy and participate, but there's a large 
a group of Chinese living in close proximity that are sharing resources over in Dearborn, Michigan. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. Uh, Muslims have been strategic in moving into that area and essentially have taken over the businesses and even elected their own mayor. Uh, so we're not talking about going Amish. Okay. It's not, this is the Christian village concept is not Amish where we're going to hide from everyone. And it's not Waco 2.0. Yeah, it's not some cult where people come in and control how you dress, how you discipline your children. They own your property on and on. It's not that there's a separation of spheres. The family is still autonomous the church is still autonomous, but, um, and, and it's not some sort of a new civilization. It's not, uh, the idea of a Christian village is not what well, we're going to find an area and appoint our own government or form our own militia or appoint ourselves as cult leaders or, um, provide a bunch of money so people can live on social welfare. It's none of that. The idea of a Christian village is simply saying, look, so for example, last week in our church, we had, um, a little over 1,500 people in worship in our two services. Well, there's many villages across our province and country that are 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people. Yeah. And the people in those villages have a corner store. They have a gas station. They have a coffee shop. They have a print shop. They have various businesses in that community. And the people are committed to buying local. So they, first and foremost, they try to support local businesses in their community because they're a village, mm -hmm. you know, ABCville, Ontario, they support one another. Well, in our church, just by, now that doesn't mean they never go to the big city to buy stuff, but their first allegiance and loyalty is, is to quote unquote, buying local, supporting local, mm -hmm. even, even in uh, broader society, there's this emphasis on buying local. It's the same idea. If, the 15, 16, or 1,700 people that call our church home thought to themselves, look, if every family in our church has an annual income of, you know, such and such an amount of money, whatever it might be, I don't know what the yep. money, the, the average wage might be, 70, 80 grand, I don't know. But if they think about that and you multiply that by the number of households that are represented in our church, you're talking about multiple millions of dollars that cycle through the hands and the bank accounts of the 1500 or so people that were in our church last week. Unfortunately, most of that money and for some, all of that money is spent outside of our 1500 people. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to get my car fixed. So I go to, you know, Johnny on the spots auto garage. Well, did you know there's three mechanics in our church, for example, or I'm going to go get my hair cut. So I'm going to go to, you know, Gino's barbershop. Well, did you know there's three people in our church that cut hair and on and on and on. So if you start adding up all the goods and services that are, we spend our money on in any given week or month or year, most of it is just goes to the people we've just always gone to. Why? Because Christians are terrible at financial strategy. <laughs> you know, we're so heavenly minded. We're of no earthly value at times. Well, immigrant communities, religious communities, they don't think that way. They understand that their first allegiance is to one another, like it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. So if you show up on a boat from another country and everyone's sort of struggling, why wouldn't you be supporting, you know, your cousin, your third cousin, your fourth cousin, your fifth cousin, et cetera? Well, now Christians find themselves not in the majority, but the minority, not in good stead with the state, but opposed by the state not being rewarded for being uh, awesome employees, but being tossed to the curb, even if they have been awesome employees because you don't agree with some ridiculous mandate. Well, this is time for us to come together. So it would be wise, for example, to form a directory and list every all the goods and services that people in your community, your church, our church has to offer and loyally support and bless and encourage one another. It would be a good idea to identify the, the goods and services that your brothers and sisters in Christ offer and support each other. That doesn't mean that, you know, you go gouging people because, you know, you're, you know, they're sort of loyal to your business. You still have to be competitive. 
Um, bartering is another thing that people should consider exchanging services. Okay. I'll, I'll babysit your kids and you can cut my grass sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, what I would want to emphasize is this is not a radical concept. It's a concept that we already see in culture. I'm just suggesting and proposing that church leaders and people within churches strategically think through how can we, how can we be more supportive of one another? Like if you had your own business and you knew that, you know, half of your income comes from like-minded people, that's a whole lot more comforting than none of your income coming from like-minded people. And you're just vulnerable to the, the societal trends of the latest and greatest lie that is floating through culture. So that's the, that's the basic idea. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a win-win. I'm not talking about no longer evangelizing. I'm not talking about forming a cult. I'm not talking about running into the boreal forests. I'm just talking about standing with one another, supporting one another within the household of faith and making it a priority to bless and encourage other godly people, other people that think like we do, instead of pouring all our money back into the system, which uh, is only going to be, it would appear continue to be used against us. Mm -hmm. That sounds really good. I think probably our listeners listening say that sounds great. That makes so much sense. I'm spending that money anyways. I can give it to Christian people. I can keep it circulating. I might be able to do that. Uh, it's especially if somebody makes up a directory for me, what though do you think would be obstacles that hold people back from doing this? Well, in the short term, I think it's easier for people just to stay in the system. I've always bought my groceries here. I've always filled up gas here. I've always had my dog's hair clipped here. I've always called this guy to cut my lawn. You know, this guy cleans my windows. Uh, it's just easier to stay within the system. And there might even be a certain sense of loyalty to the businesses that you've historically supported. So that, that requires, that's going to be an obstacle. People have to, make a conscientious choice to choose to channel their support to people who are like-minded. So that's an obstacle that needs to be addressed. You also need someone to facilitate it. So if I'm sharing an idea on this podcast, which is a reasonable idea, I believe, and next week I'm sharing other ideas and the following week and I'm passing my church. I probably don't have time to actually establish that structure and system in the church. So as an equipping pastor, I need to find people in my church that can help people in our church think through these issues. So you need to have, you need to have some point people in your mm -hmm. Christian community that can think through the logistics of this. I would say it would start with a church survey whereby people would identify the goods and services that they offer. See, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like we have a lot of people in our church and I know some of them really well. I, and I'm, there's some of them I'm just getting to know and some I don't even know yet. We have new people in our church all the time. So I don't even know what all the goods and services that they offer are. I might be spending my money currently on something that I, I'm just not aware that someone in our church offers those goods and services. So we need to create databases, probably directories, kind of like the shepherd's guide, yeah. sort of a, a, a guide in our communities where Christian type businesses could offer their services. Oh, you're looking for a real estate agent. Okay. Call this person. You're looking for, to have some excavation done, call this person. So we need to identify who's who in the zoo, mm -hmm. so to speak, who offers what goods and services. That would be a good place to start. And uh, so it just takes a little bit of administrative effort. And then I would also say that a third obstacle is a lack of urgency, which, which is probably based upon the false belief that things are going to improve. Mm -hmm. Now, it is true because of the, the timing of the year, things are improving pandemic wise. I think there's three reasons why things are improving pandemic wise in terms of restrictions. A, the weather's warming, people get sick less. B, in our province, we're coming up to a provincial election mm -hmm. and the government wants to look like they're liberty loving. And uh, C, there's less of a political will 
to sustain mandates. More and more people are saying enough's enough. So two years ago, it was a few of us. And then the group sort of grown thousands of people now are like enough's enough. Mm -hmm. So there's some societal reasons why the mandates will be lifted. But as we've said all along, our concern is not the mandates per se, it's statism. It's a Mm -hmm. broken worldview. It's a godless worldview. It's a worldview within which the state has assigned itself to the position of God, Mm -hmm. essentially, or they have control over everything. So a lack of urgency, sort of a lack of, and I use this word carefully, prophetic insight, a lack of thinking about the future, a lack of discernment, So those would be some obstacles that come to mind that I think are likely Mm -hmm. to cause people just to sort of coast and hope someone else fixes their problem. But if together we come together as communities of faith and commit as best as we're able to supporting one another, come the next lockdown or climate crisis or war or whatever it might be, we're going to be in a much better place. And because a lot of our kids now are not going to be able to pursue traditional forms of education in many educational institutions because their 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 worldview is so atrocious, or they're not going to be able to get find gainful employment because their worldview will literally exclude them. Mm-hmm. If you don't sign off and all that societal agendas, you wouldn't be employable. It's really critical that we we create businesses and forums for the future generations to find employment, or we're going to have a lot of kids living in our basements playing video games <laughs> in, in generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. That's uh, that's very helpful. The economic support obviously is a key part of this, but do you see other benefits to the idea of a Christian village? What might be some of those? I do. I think community and just ha- providing community support and care for one another, the more you rub shoulders with each other during the week is We've come out of a period of intense isolation and alienation where people have been forbidden from visiting family, where people have been forbidden from attending church, where people have been left unemployed. And there is is a growing sense and awareness among people that we are relational beings. They say the worst thing you could do to a human being is to isolate them. So when we're living in community with one another, and again, I, I... personally think that if you're in an area where there's very few Christians, like I'd, I'd love to say, Hey, stay and be salt and light. But the reality is if there's just no infrastructure, no support, you might need to relocate to a community where there's a greater number of believers and get involved in the system again, not to hide, not to be Amish or Waco-ish, but so that we all need support mm-hmm. and we all need, I mean, we, we're not, we can't be lone rangers and we're not superheroes. So I think that by supporting each other in business ventures and economies and even living in closer proximity, there's some natural community support and care that will come out of that, that combats alienation. The more Christians, this will scare the establishment, but the more Christians live in community and fund one another and support one another economically, the more political will, we also will leverage, you know, running for offices, elected offices is important. The, the, the tighter we are and closer we are and more sustainable we are, it creates opportunities for continuing to worship together when we're under duress, when we're forced out of our churches, the more we are just naturally accustomed to supporting each other and visiting each other's businesses you know, the more we be ex- we'll be exposed to places we can worship if we're forced out of our buildings, people who we can trust to worship with, you know, taking our fellowship beyond Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to regular points of interaction during the week. You know, I, I you cut my hair this week or, you know, you um, I bought vegetables from you this week, whatever it might be. So it also provides kind of some secure areas to to worship. Mm hmm. It's good. So next steps, open a business. <laughs> yeah. I, I would advise anyone who's has an entrepreneurial heart needs to seriously explore starting businesses. And that might mean you're doing it in partnerships with other people. Despise not the day of small beginnings. You might start small. You might have to take a bit of a pay cut, but better to live off of a smaller paycheck that's a little more secure than a larger corporate paycheck that can be snatched from you the moment you 
disagree with the narrative. That's key. I think churches can appoint administratively minded people to form these databases and to identify the goods and services that are offered in a given community. If you're a small church in a small area, you might need to tag team with two or three other small churches in your area and create a database. There's nothing illegal about that. I mean, you're free to spend your money wherever you want. If I want to spend my money at, you know, Big Bob's box store, as opposed to Little Bob's box store yep. down the street, yep. I mean, I have freedom to do that. So again, Christians tend to think about how to get to heaven, the spiritual disciplines and all things spiritual. And then we just kind of live our lives during the week mm -hmm. with no thought for financial strategy or building micro economies. Well, things have changed and it's time for us to think about these practical aspects of everyday life and to make a conscientious effort to support and encourage one another in business. Mm -hmm. And not just seek the best deal because <laughs> the best deal might not be had in the short term uh, from there. Spoken right? like a true Dutchman. I know. Saying, <laughs> That's I'm all in my mind. I'm like, the little store is probably going to have higher prices. So <laughs> I got to spend a little more be blessed. It's okay, exactly. buddy. <laughs> it's totally, well, it's a lot easier when you're, Paying somebody you know and love and yeah. care for, right? So that's good. Okay, we got a couple of questions that came in. Just a reminder to our listeners, if you want to ask questions on, for us to answer on the show, you can email them to askask at harvestwindsor.ca. And we would love to answer those in future shows. But here's a question that came in, kind of relevant to our discussion in the sense of now that vaccine passports are being lifted here in Ontario, they're not in place. Um, do you think that it would be wrong for Christians to merely return to visiting the restaurants, theaters, gyms, et cetera, which previously went along with the discriminatory practice of vaccine passports, but have now dropped them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've been sort of wrestling with that in my own head. So here's where I'm at. Uh, I am going to remain loyal to those that pushed back. So if given a choice to shop here or there and here didn't enforce the vax passes and there did, because we know it's all political, it's not medical. I know where my money's going to go. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also going to watch to see if I was dealing with a cowardly business owner or a business owner that conscientiously pushed for it. So how am I going to know that? Well, when the mask mandates go away, if I see a business, it's like, no, we're continuing to require mask mandates, contrary to even what the law requires, then I know that they are actually part of the problem, mm -hmm. front, front line part of the problem. They're actually contributing to the lies. And um, I'm going to do everything within my power to never shop there again, unless for some strange reason, it's the only place I could buy something. But I'm going to do everything within my power to not shop there again. If there are businesses that were just sort of cowardly and rolled over, which I think many of them are, again, I will um, spend my money there as needed, but I would, ha I will have no loyalty to them whatsoever. Mm -hmm. My loyalty will be directed to this very small number of businesses that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, willing to suffer and on principle weren't, we're going to discriminate. However, if I think more broadly, this, the, 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 the more long-term question, the short-term question is, should I shop there? The long-term question is, what does this say about these businesses? Mm -hmm. Well, to me, it says that these businesses are not based on, on Christian values. And so what, what we've seen now, now, you know, now, you know, as conscientious Christians, how many business opportunities there are available for you. Remember when they were banning us from restaurants and people would be like, oh, I just love to go to eat. Can you recommend any place? It's like, well, yeah, we know three places in all of Windsor, Essex County that three or four will it will stay open. And it's like, oh, I've already been there this week. You know, so it's, <laughs> there's a, there's a great opportunity now for conscientious people to start businesses in these areas that have failed mm -hmm. us, that have failed us. These businesses that have discriminated against us, these businesses that have segregated us. Why on earth would I go to a gym and support a gym that has 
forced all, that forced all their customers out when vax mandates were required if I know of a, a gym that has stayed open. I mean, it's a no-brainer. So I'm not sure that it's realistic for everyone to continue to boycott every business that complied because there may be goods and services that you need to access from businesses where it's that's the only place you can buy it. But I would say spend as little money as possible there. I would say um, keep keep a long memory, remember what happened, and encourage other people to start businesses in in those areas. And I, I would also say stay loyal as much as you can to those that stood up mm-hmm. and uh, acted properly. You know, this is the same question about churches. That's exactly where I was going next. Okay, okay. <laughs> so the same with churches, right? Churches that have, okay, it's getting to a point. I put out a tweet this week. I'm like begging churches that comply, like, please open up. I can't pastor the whole province. Hmm. The 12 or 15 churches in the province that have stood up, we can't pastor everybody. We had a couple drive, two couples drive three and a half hours to church on Sunday and drive back three and a half hours. And, um, it's not uncommon for people to drive an hour, two hours to find a church that isn't going to enforce all the rules and isn't going to violate their conscience. It's, but the, it's as cool as it is to have a lot of people in our church. Like it's, I can't be pastoring people from Toronto, mm-hmm. from Owen sound, from Perry sound. I mean, people, guys need to reopen their churches, mm-hmm. but in order for that to happen, they need to repent yeah, that's right. They need to repent. I mean, there's churches, even in our own city, that people will go back to and worship at that refuse to even write an exemption for them and put we're complicit in putting them out of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a disgrace. Do you want to worship at a church that refused to help you keep your job? That for there's there's churches out there, Chris, that have um mandates that even exceed mm-hmm. the provincial mandates. There's churches that require people to wear a mask while they're in their seat, which in our province wasn't required. There's, there's, um, there was a, um, a church up in the Kitchener Waterloo area that was announcing to their people, well, next week you don't have to social distance, but you should still ask permission before you get near anybody. <laughs> Come on, man. So, the, these are the kinds of churches, like to just go back to these churches. Oh, well, you know, they made a mistake. We're going to move on. I don't know. Like I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not trying to infuriate people, but I, I wouldn't be able to in good conscience sit under the leadership of a pastor that said nothing through all of this or is actually complicit in what we now know is a lie. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not, it's not a conspiracy. The state is trying to control everything. Mm-hmm. The vaccine passports were 100% a political stunt. Mm-hmm. Cloth masks have almost zero value, about 10%. We know this. And a lot of people that run around with these cloth masks, these blue masks with holes all you know around your face, makes people feel more comfortable. They, they have very little, very little effect on stopping the virus. We now know this. We now know that the vaccine last for 12, 16 weeks at the most is what most people are saying. So even now, that means the vast majority of our country isn't even vaccinated per se. Mm-hmm. The vaccines have expired. If you haven't got a vaccine in the last four months, you're, you're effectively unvaccinated. So we have all of that, the medical side, enforcing all these ridiculous rules, contrary to God's law, by the way. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as, as quarantining the healthy is a direct violation of God's natural law. And God's divine law that we quarantine the sick. You don't quarantine the healthy for, for, for a church to be part of a system that forbade healthy people from working in obedience to the clearest commandments of scripture, work six days and rest on the seventh. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. He who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. These are clear directives from God's word. And yet we live in a, in a state that said tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of healthy people have to stay home to stay safe. Mm-hmm. Can't work. We'll let the big box stay open. And if you, if you have a pastor or a church leader 
that knows the word of God is good or not better than me and has still not stood against the direct violation of God's laws and word and won't even, won't, won't even speak out against it and wouldn't help you to try to maintain your job, man, you must be quite saintly uh, in order to want to continue to sit under that kind of leadership. But the reality is not everybody can just pack up and move to the dozen or so churches that have stayed open. Mm -hmm. So these churches need to repent and to make it right because people need to be ministered to in our province in Alberta and Quebec and Saskatchewan and Manitoba and British Columbia and Nunavut and all the Maritimes, people need to be ministered to. And we can't do it all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that, that those are my thoughts on, uh, you know, the, the church issue. Yeah. Okay. So one final question uh, before we go, we saw with the misuse of the emergencies act, the gaping holes in, things like bank security. Uh, so do you, this quest, listener is asking, do you think it's prudent to consider removing personal finances either partially or completely from banks? And I know we talked about this in, a, I think a few weeks ago, but can you just touch on that one? Yeah, I do. I think that you should keep enough money in there to pay your bills. I don't think now is the time to have your savings, even if it's only a couple of months savings, just stashed in your savings account. I, I think the banks have proven themselves unworthy of stewarding your wealth. And I think too, that it's wise for Christians to do their, to do their best to unencumber themselves from the state. So, you know, whether that is um, being more aggressive in getting out of the mortgage system that we find ourselves in or getting out of, uh, you know, investing our money with, with heathens, and uh, investing our money in, in hard assets or investing our money with Christians that will treat your finances equitably. Equitably, And by the way, there's, there's a lot of Christians that I know who are involved in the investment industry that, that, that I would trust. I, I, I would trust them. And th but then again, Many Christians have money that they have socked away and it's being managed by people that don't even remotely have your worldview. So even if you're going to get involved in the investment market, why would you not get involved with someone who's ethical and shares your worldview? Um, you want to be careful, not just to assume that because a person's Christian, there's ethical, they're, they're ethical. There's some immature believers. There's some shysters that can infiltrate churches. So you need to kind of do your homework, but um, just having thousands of dollars laying around in a savings account for a rainy day, I'd withdraw it mm. and, uh, you know, keep it safe in a safety deposit box or a safe or under your floorboards or, you know, mm. at your friend's house or wherever. Right. Or you invest it in your local church. <laughs> yeah. You can invest in your local church, but then if you need it for, you know, a rainy day or, you know, the church is in, mm -hmm. in the business of, uh, that's right. Saving people's funds. So you can do that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of two thoughts that people have right now. So the one is, do I keep big mortgages on property so that if the state comes for it, they're essentially just inheriting an unencumbered property, you know, they're going to take some of your money, but they're basically just taking a big mortgage. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that question. Um, so I know some people are of the mind, Hey, max out the mortgage in your property. You're going to be paying interest on it, but, um, you know, then you can send your money out of the country or put it into hard assets or whatever it might be, put it in the name of your children or whatnot. Um, the other th line of thinking is, you know, get your property paid off as soon as you can, because then you're outside of the system. You're not dependent upon, first of all, you're not paying money to banks that are sticking gay flags and stuff on the door like mine and are sending money to these woke establishments. I don't know, the banks are supposed to be about banking, mm -hmm. but increasingly they're getting involved in funding all these woke pagan ideologies and movements and culture. So do, do you really want to have your mortgage with them and be paying them thousands and thousands of dollars in interest every year so they can use those funds to support these causes. Private mortgages might be a good idea if you know someone who's wealthy and is willing to lend money at a reasonable rate. Uh, or 
what some folks I know are thinking about doing is uh, removing some names from the deed of their property. So for example, if you consider yourself a target, let's say you're the head of your home and, and you're, you tend to have been targeted by the state, it might not be a bad idea for you to put your property in your wife's name or one of your children's name or a couple of your children's name or whatever it might be, or even rent from a, uh, you know, a Christian um, and, you know, keep some of your hard assets in another location. So these are things that require wisdom. Everybody's circumstances are different, but I would say the main principles would be minimize risk, uh, penalize uh, institutions that are going to use your funds for godless purposes by refusing to give them as much of your money as possible and, you know, protect yourself as much as you can from uh, legal seizure or illegal seizure of your property and assets. At the same time, just know this, that the Lord is in control of all things, that the money that he has stewarded you is ultimately his. Uh, we own nothing. We're just stewards. And we often say that ownership is the enemy of stewardship. So we want to be good stewards of our money. But as soon as we think we own it, then we can be a little too greedy or closed fisted about it. We want to be open handed, kind of cupped handed with our money. We want to steward it well and make wise decisions. But at the end of the day, if it's when the Lord's sovereign will to uh, have your money removed from you because you've done the right thing and you live for Christ, then so be it. The Lord will mm -hmm. bless you. If not in this life, he will bless you in the life to come. So these things require prayer and wisdom, but there's also some, uh, you know, practical uh, things we can do to minimize the risk and maximize uh, the stewardship of the possessions that the Lord has given to us. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, lots of, lots to think about this week as we uh, chat about this idea of a Christian village. And maybe this is something you want to talk to people from your church with and get ideas going and uh, just see where it goes. Just a reminder to our listeners that you can hear this podcast weekly on the CJXC, CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion at 11 a.m. Tuesdays and rebroadcast at 11 p.m. Thursdays, as well as over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. You can download their app. You can get this podcast as well as others. Make sure to follow Pastor Aaron over on Facebook, on Gab, on Getter, all, the, all those channels so that you can see this podcast podcast posted weekly make sure you subscribe rate it share it do all those good things to get the uh, word out about it and then tune in next week to another episode of leadership now with dr aaron rock <music>